right. Good morning. Good to be with you guys, and uh, really is always just uh, great to be with you. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up to Luke chapter 11. That's where we'll be this morning. If you're new or visiting, glad that you're here. Uh, just glad that you got to join us today. And uh, if you're wondering what this is, it is a worship service where we worship Jesus. And we worship Jesus by singing. That's why we're singing uh, songs so that we might remember what Jesus Christ has done. We believe that he was God, that he did come and did live the obedient life. We couldn't live in our place for our sin, dying, paying the debt that we couldn't pay, bearing the wrath of God, and rising from death to gift us his Holy Spirit so that we might walk in newness of life. You might just shut those doors in the back there, Pete. Snyder. Thanks, brother. Um, and uh, we also worship Jesus by uh, sitting under the teaching and preaching of God's word because uh, God's word is how we are shaped and transformed as we sit under it and, and listen to what God has said instead of what we think we should say or what should be said. And so we uh, do that as well as an act of worship. We also um, observe the Lord's Supper each week or some know it as communion based upon your background. We don't believe that this imparts righteousness to you. We don't believe that the table actually in some way intrinsically puts your favor with God. Uh, in some way, shape, or form, a stance that was what it wasn't before. We believe Jesus Christ alone merits uh, your righteousness and merits the work that could not be done on your behalf to make you right with God. And so we do it as a way to be nourished by remembering the saving benefits of Jesus Christ and what he's done. We also give as an act of worship because Jesus was generous in giving us himself. We give on the silver boxes on the back wall and uh, many of you give online as well. And if you're not a regular tender member, we are not interested and please do not feel compelled to give. We really just want you to know Jesus Christ, love him, serve him with your whole heart. Um, before we dive into the text, let's pray. We're gonna be uh, starting four weeks just looking at the prayers of Jesus, the most perfect man who lived, who prayed perfect prayers, and we wanna grow as a church in our understanding of prayer and also um, as we wage the spiritual battle which we talked about last week. So let's uh, ask God for help. Father, thank you uh, that you hear us. And thank you that you hear us, not because of us, but because of Christ, who's our mediator. Without Jesus, our prayers would just hit the ceiling. Uh, so thank you that we can talk to you, commune with you, converse with you. Um, thank you that we can grow in our obedience to you and our understanding of you through um, the gift it is of communicating through prayer. Uh, Father, help us as a church. We have a long way to go, a lot of areas to grow and be refined in. So would you uh, help us in those areas and ways? Uh, we thank you for your mercy in that. Remind us of things we've already heard and instruct us in things that are new to us as ways to walk more rightly as your people and to enjoy you more. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here, here's what we're going to do. Um, we just finished two weeks ago. We, we landed the plane in Ephesians 6, finished just six weeks looking at the spiritual war, spiritual battle in Ephesians 6. And um, at the end of that, if you notice the, the text two weeks ago, it said that you uh, do all of those things. You have all the armor of God on you, praying at all times with all supplication. And so uh, what he was revealing was prayer is really the engine. It's really um, the fuel by which we accomplish any bit of what we do, including the spiritual war. So even... Uh, understanding all the armor is good, but if it's not infused and empowered and enabled by the Holy Spirit of God, uh, it doesn't really matter what we know intelligently if we don't know how to walk in it rightly. And so um, he, he showed us that. And what we want to do is just take uh, four weeks just to look at the prayers of Jesus. We want to see how Jesus prayed and how that might help shape us and inform us and instruct us and encourage us as a church. So we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer this morning. We're going to look at Gethsemane next week. And then we're going to take two weeks on the high priestly prayer in John 
17, and then we're going to hit 1 John, which will take us to about the summer where we'll hit Proverbs and learn how to walk wisely. So um, let me just help you understand something about what prayer is, because some of you guys, you're, you're brand new to prayer. Um, some of you guys have just uh, heard sermons on prayer. You can never quite get traction. Let me just help you understand a, a, a description of prayer. Um, some of you guys want to bust out some big theological brackets. You don't need that. Prayer is very simply communicating or conversing with God. It's what it is. Uh, God has designed us. He's made us in his image and likeness to communicate and be with God. And because of sin, we're separated from God, right? So Jesus comes, Jesus lives, Jesus dies, Jesus rises, and he gifts his Holy Spirit to enable and empower and teach us now how to communicate and commune with God the Father. Um, we believe in a God who is Trinitarian in nature. We believe that he is one God, three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What you and I need to remember is that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, from eternity past, were communing, conversing, communicating with one another in perfect harmony, and they will into eternity future, and therefore they want us to do the same. They want us to learn how to communicate and be with God as God intended before sin separated us from God. And so really... Generally, as Christians, our prayers are to be Trinitarian. We pray to the Father, through the Son, by the power and enabling of the Holy Spirit. Um, that's how we pray. That's how Jesus prayed. That's how we are taught and encouraged to pray. And so, uh, listen, I know that just entering into this text and teaching on prayer, uh, some of us, all we feel is guilt and shame, um, or we feel like, man, we've tried, we can't get traction. Listen, the last thing, uh, the desire of, of these four weeks is to guilt and shame you into praying. That'll never produce any fruit. Uh, ne- nothing good happens from someone just beating you over the head saying, you need to do this. Uh, we don't believe that that is the pathway to prayer. We just want to simply open up for you how good God is, how beautiful God is, and what he's invited you into so we, so we might pray more naturally, fervently, passionately, and humbly. Uh, because if you look at the Bible, that's how it should be done. First uh, Thessalonians 5, right? Pray without ceasing. Listen, you know what that's not? That's not you leaving tomorrow, driving up to the top of a mountain, going in a cave, sitting prostrate, and never returning back to civilization. That's not praying about ceasing. That's not how God intended it. If you look at Jesus' life, he, he wove prayer into his life. He taught on prayer, prayed himself. It was natural like breathing, just talking to the Father. That's all prayer is, just conversing, communicating with God. And so um, we want to learn how to do that. We want to continue to grow in that as a people. So Luke 11, verse 1, here is what he says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. (laughs) Now listen, some of you guys are going to, I want to let you know, you're going you're gonna to read this excerpt of the Lord's Prayer and it's going to sound a little bit different because you're probably likely understanding Matthew 6, right? It's probably been the, 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 the prayer you've been up, grown up in. I want you to see Luke 11 because I want you to see it's not a formula, uh, it's structural, it's a guide. It's not some chant, pray these things, and then somehow God will listen more favorably. He's trying to give you a guide as to how to pray. He's trying to give you an ideas and understandings that are supernatural to help inform you as you come to God and approach him. That's what he's doing here. And so, so don't, don't, don't read this as that. Some of you guys also, you're gonna not see, uh, for thine is the power and kingdom and glory forever and ever, amen. Uh, you know that, you're like, whoa, that's not in there. That's right, it's not in there. That's something that just the people around you wanted to be cool or creative. They grabbed from Chronicles and just put it at the end 
It's still in the Bible. It's still cool. It's just not Matthew 6. Okay, so that's where that is. Don't freak out and be like, man, you guys are using the wrong Bible. It's air. No, we're reading the same Bible, okay, just, just from a different place. Uh, they're pulling those texts and adding them in. It's okay to do that um, as well. And so here's what we're seeing in Luke 1 out of the gate. You're seeing Jesus um, praying in a certain place. Um, sometimes he prayed in crowds. Sometimes he prayed in small groups. Sometimes he prayed alone. Um, it's not about where he prayed. It's about just the idea that he's conversing with God. In this particular instance, um, the disciples had heard him pray. They'd watched him pray. Apparently, John the Baptist had taught people around him how to pray. So they say, Jesus, teach us also how to do this. Now, here's what's encouraging out of the gate. They don't say, teach us a prayer. They say, teach us how to pray, right? And, and here, here's what's so encouraging about that is, is that it, it, it's, it's, it's a guide. It's not formulaic. It's encouraging because we learned even the disciples had to learn how to pray, even the disciples who walked with Jesus incarnate had to be taught how to pray after watching him pray, right? So this is encouraging for us. I mean, Paul, capital A, apostle, right? In Romans says, labor with me in prayer. The, the New Testament clearly lays before you that, that prayer is a discipline, that prayer is a labor, that prayer does not come easy, that is deeply serious, but we all need to grow and develop in this love of prayer. No one is birthed out of the womb and stumbles into a fervent prayer life. Like, like you're not gonna meet that person. They, they learn prayer over time. So what you have to see here, an important observation, is prayer is not created naturally in you. It is learned. You learn how to pray. Um, people don't know how to pray. They need to learn it. And it's a discipline. And, and even though these disciples have been with Jesus for some time, they'd already prayed. They'd heard Jesus prayed. They asked him, Lord, would you teach us how? Would you teach us how to pray? We've been hearing you pray. Teach us how to do what you do. So a great way to learn how to pray if you're new to prayer is by being with others who pray and learning how to pray by listening to how they pray. Um, that's what the disciples did. They were with Jesus. Um, hear others pray as the disciples got to hear Jesus pray. Um, if you're a parent, right? I love it. You pray with your kids. That's how your kids learn how to pray. Man, I love hearing Jackson learning how to pray by hearing our prayers. Some I want to take credit for, some I don't. Like, where did that come from? I didn't teach you that. Where are you, where are you hearing that? Others, I'm like, that's good. I'll add that to me. Kristen, you got kind of that category over there, right? We, 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 we shift, but I love hearing him grow in prayers. I love hearing him say things. I didn't even know he knew how to say because he's just been listening to people pray. Um, so it's a great way to learn how to pray. That's why we love Sunday at 8.15. We love worship and prayer. Some of you have even said, I'm learning how to pray because I've been coming, hearing people pray. Praise God. That's biblical. That's how people did it in the Bible. They were around people who prayed, and that's how they learned how to pray. In your growth groups, as you hear other people pray, that's how you learn how to pray. And then look at what Jesus does. He gives them a guide, not a formula. Verse two. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, Jesus says when you pray, you start by approaching him as Father. This is for those who are in Christ, those who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, those who have trusted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of their sin. They say, you fundamentally, Jesus says out of his lips, when you go to converse with God, communicate with God, you approach him understanding him as Dad. This is world-changing. At the time, we'll get to in a minute, but also for us as human beings. 
He shows us something very important here. Whenever you go to, are at home, whenever you go to growth groups, whenever you're in the car, whenever you go to the playground with your kids, whenever you're in the office, whenever you talk with God, you understand him as Father. Listen to Romans 8.15. You have received the Spirit as adoption, as sons, whom we cry, Abba, Father. He's reminding you the Trinitarian nature of God, that in your salvation, right, you've received the Spirit in your adoption as sons and daughters. You were once orphans, not in his care, not in his family, just a created uh, being, not, not one of his children. And then through the gospel of Jesus Christ, he brings you into the family, makes you his own children, right? That's the beauty of the gospel. We were enemies, friends, orphans, kids. And he says in that, he shows you that this cries out something from you. You appeal to him as father. That's natural for you now. Um, So here's what this is saying. What this means is we should pray respectfully, we should pray reverently, but we do not need to pray formally. Very important. Some of you are new to this thing and you're going, I don't know, man, how do I pray? I need to get on my mat, need to face east, need to have divots in the floor, need to wear a cloak, need to, wrong team. That's not the, team Jesus, you know what they do? They just talk to God as the father through Jesus empowered and enabled by the spirit. They come to him as dad. They come to him as father. He's available. He cares. He listens. He's perfect. This is massive. This is how you approach him. This is how you talk to him. Jesus says this is how it it starts for you. When you pray, you're depending on the love and grace and mercy of dad. That's what you're doing by praying. Fundamentally, Jesus is showing. This is why the Bible says you can approach the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, boldly, courageously, not fearfully, not being intimidated any longer because you're now his children. So you can now ask petitions, ask please, walk into his room and say, God, I need help. God listens. God loves me. This is why we can approach him as father. Now listen, this is huge because up until this point in human history, it was a bit foreign to refer to God as Father. Um, this was not the norm, right? Um, and, and you'll see this if you read or know your Old Testament well. I mean, Jewish rabbis, they would teach that God was, he was far off. He was unapproachable. Uh, they could go on the Day of Atonement. They would talk to God. Uh, further, if you read the Old Testament, God is referred to Father around like 14, 15 times. Jesus shows up on the scene. New Testament, he's referred to over 60 times as Father. Jesus is introducing something here that is profound. That's what he's showing you. He's, he's, he's showing you that in the Old Testament, they would collectively say Father, never individually. And he's revealing something about what's happened in the gospel of grace, that, that now you can approach him as Father. We have the right to approach a sovereign, eternal, holy God and call him Father. This was frightening to the Jews. But this was something the God of the scriptures was eager to present to us. You know what this is? This is invitation. This is, this is invitation. This is come, commune, talk, converse, communicate. I mean, unlike any other system, right? Stoics believe God's unable to feel anything. Epicureans believe God exists in some like indifferent serenity. You got Deists that believe God wound up the world and kind of went away and leaves it to be. The God of the Bible, God of the scriptures, the God of creation reveals himself as a God who actually becomes father. 
and invites you in to speak to him, that he feels deeply with you, that he's personal, that he's intimate, that he's involved. This settles your fears. This settles your loneliness. This settles your hopelessness. It's what that does when you start understanding this. Let's think about Luke 15. Um, if you don't even have a church background, you're probably familiar with the prodigal son. Probably read about it somewhere or heard it somewhere. But, but you know that that whole parable is just giving you the imagery of this father heart of God. Of this, how to approach him. If you know the story, right? The son who spoils all that his father gave him and, and then he just finds himself with the pigs and pig slop. And he's, and he's thinking to himself, man, if, if I go back home, going back home is, is better than being here. I mean, maybe being under my father's care, maybe being under my father's headship, maybe being under what my dad says is, is safe for me. Maybe that's good for me. And, and then he says, maybe he'll take me as a servant. I mean, even if he just takes me as a servant, as a slave, that would be better than where I am outside of his sovereign care, right? And what does he do? He comes home and the dad opens the door and he goes, man, you're not going to be my servant. You're my son. And he goes, put a ring on his finger, put a robe on him, man. Let's throw a party. My son's returned. Man, this is the invitation of God to sinful, broken, beat up kids that admit, I need him, I need help, I gotta come to him. And he says, I'm dad. You better remember that. You wanna know why? You'll run from him, not to him. If you only know him as justifying judge, you will not enter his throne room with delight and intimacy and joy that he desires you to do. So he's showing you when you start this, this is invitation. See, some of us, we don't pray because I do believe there's a genuine misunderstanding of God's affection for you. In the gospel, he will not listen to you outside of Christ in the sense that he's not your father. But man, when that exchange happens in the gospel of Jesus Christ when he takes your righteousness and gives you his own when he takes your sin becomes your sin for you doesn't sin becomes sin so that we might become the righteousness of God when he does that for us man there's invitation now there's warmth there's safety I mean this is why Zephaniah says he shouts over us he doesn't say he shouts at us he shouts over us. There's, there's delight in the heart of God. Proverbs 15, God de- delights in hearing prayers from his people. The God delights to listen. He doesn't shut the door. He doesn't say he's too busy. He doesn't say he's too angry. He doesn't say he's too annoyed that God says, come talk to me. Come commune with me. Come ask me. This, this is how he's laying this before us. And you know why this is so hard for us to believe? Because we know us. <laughs> uh, we know this about us. It's hard for, to fathom God knowing every wicked motive and thought, every, every deed unseen and seen to the world, every uh, bit of omission, commission, every, every even proclivity desire to do that I didn't do and withheld out on and, and things that I did do. Man, this God still says, hey, uh, you don't come to me because of you. You come to me because of Christ and I'm going to welcome you in as you repent of sin and confess sin and turn to me remembering I'm merciful and I love to forgive sin. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. It's hard for us to understand. That's why I said, if you don't understand that this is God's heart toward you, you will not run to him. You will always run from him. I mean, look at children. Who do, what type of parents do children run to? The annoyed, grumpy, impatient? Do they just delight in that? Oh, I can't wait to be in your arms. You know, I, no, they run to the parents that are unbound, overjoyed at them. Man, come here right? Children are drawn to that. Um, 
This is why if you're totally new to prayer and want to learn, I would encourage you to not look at religious people to learn how to pray. Uh, I would encourage you to, to, to look at, don't look at, oh, in this time of day, on this mat, facing this way, wearing this. Don't, don't look at that. Jesus will even say not to look at that. Um, he'll say, hey, you look at a father, the way an imperfect, broken, fractured, worldly father in some way, shape, or form, get the best picture of that that you've seen where children delight in him and then broadcast that onto an infinitely perfect, holy father that loves his children. Let that well up joy and intimacy in your heart. You look at that, you see that. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Longer's not better. Some of you guys have been intimidated. I can't pray because I can't pray for 10 minutes. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you have to pray for 10 minutes. Learn how to pray. Some of the most beautiful prayers I hear are short prayers. Short's not more holy. Longer's not more holy. Praying to God's holy. And you pray to God through the Son by empowered and able by the Holy Spirit. And some people just want to heal themselves, talk. That's fine. If it's genuine and from the heart. But otherwise it just becomes empty. Just becomes a show. So, so, so be careful. If you've been fearful to pray because you think, man, I don't know what to say, that's okay. You're just like the disciples. And you start by just communicating. You get around people that pray. You learn how to, how to have conversations. You learn how to say different phrases. You learn how to talk to God and talk about God in ways you didn't learn or know before. It's beautiful. You pray succinctly, clearly, humbly. And then Jesus says this. Hallowed be your name. I don't know about you, but I love that this follows Father. <laughs> because God is tender and he is ferocious. He is soft and he is sacred. He is meek and he is mighty. I mean, he's unlike any other being. That he has such tenderness and such strength at the same time existing in the same space. Right, this is the, the God of the scriptures. I, I, I love this. And Jesus says this because he knows you could get carried away in your sentimentality if you only know him as father. You gotta know him as both. So he loves you knowing that you can rush into dad's room and say, man, here's my anxieties, here's my cares, here's my hurts, here's my pains. Man, have it all. He goes, all while at the same time understanding his name is to be hallowed. Love it. Now listen, you have to have both. You have to have father and hallowed, sacred, set apart, distinct. He's unlike any other. He's fully sufficient. I'm insufficient. Hallowed or holy is your name. This is just talking about God's essence and character. It's just talking about the, the, what God is like. Uh, some say, well, God's good and evil. God's darkness and light. God's yin and yang. No, no, God is holy. God is light. And then there's no darkness at all, the Bible says. There is no sin in him. God is distinct. God is different. And guess what? This is a gift to you because do you know that you would not be able to trust God if he were not this? Do you know that's good that he's unchanging? That he's Hebrews 13, same yesterday, today, and forever the wise. I don't know, love me today, hate me tomorrow? And not be a consistent father? Will he tell the truth today and then lie tomorrow? Will he do good today and then do evil tomorrow? You know that, that the, the essence and nature of God is actually a gift for you in your prayers because you remember that you're praying to an unchanging, perfect God. 
who's hallowed, who's also Father. What the heck? It's amazing, right? So you got this. It it takes away fearfulness. It takes away casualness. It's this beautiful approach to God that Jesus shows us. Where you're remembering both these things. You can delight in God, hear from God, tremble at God. So we pray to God. We pray to a God who is unchanging and altogether perfect. And I love it. As you acknowledge him as holy or hallowed, this is inviting you in to examine your own lives and the ways that you're unholy. And then what does that do? Circle you right back to how good the Father is that he would still forgive you. Like, like, like knowing these aspects of God, just all they do is stir affections for you in your prayers to God. And it's all circular. And then that glorifies God and humbles us because we begin with an acknowledgement of now how good our father truly is. I mean, he really is a good father because even in his hallowedness, even in his sacredness, even in his infinite perfections, even in his justice and goodness and love and mercy and wrath and all that comes with God, I'm still welcomed. Man, my father really is good because he's hallowed and how he treats me in his hallowedness despite me. It's not because of you, it's because of him. He made a sacrifice of himself for yourself. I didn't ask you to do it, he did it. And because of what he did in his atonement, you can now come. You can now have this access. You know what hallowed also does though? It, re- it also reminds us that prayer is not telling him something he doesn't know. I, I-, I talk to people often, they're like, oh, I'm not telling him that. And I'm like, why? Well, I don't want him to know that. I'm like, let me let you in on a little secret. Just... He knows that. He knows that. He knows that just like children, right? There are things we already know as parents, and they come and tell you. It's building intimacy. It's building trust. It's building obedience. You know, you don't tell those things to God because he doesn't know. That's why, man, his omniscience, his hallowedness, that he knows all, sees all. Some of us, I feel like, man, we operate in this weird environment with this, this hallowed or this uh, omniscience where that's just a totally terrifying thing. Usually that's how people use it to get you out of your sin. He sees it all, right? That's true. He sees every bit of it. You can't escape his sight. Did you know his omniscience is also a total gift to you? That even though he sees it, he still invites you in? Like, like his omniscience reminds you of the profound nature of the gospel that even though he sees today the ways your heart will secretly and unwillingly just do these rebellious acts, that, that, he's, that, he, that he still is saying, man, I, I, I declared you righteous in Christ. Keep turning to me. Keep repenting. Keep confessing. Dad's here. Father's here. It's unreal. It's unreal what we learn in this, in this prayer. And so listen, sometimes prayer moves the hand of God. Most of the time, prayer is not to move the hand of God, but change your heart. So you trust him, obey him, and grow in love with him. You're telling God things he already knows. That's how it operates even in humanity. Our children tell us stuff we know, but that builds the relationship. That builds intimacy. That gives us freedom. And then look at what he says. Your kingdom come. So you come to God celebrating intimacy, him being father because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then you come to him reverently celebrating his worth, glory, name, and renown. 
And then you go, okay, do whatever advances your kingdom. You rule, you reign, you're king of this kingdom. I love this. We're holy rebels. Uh, we, we rebel against the way things are in a very holy way. We, we seek to, for God to save, build, restore, redeem. We seek for justice to be pushed back and light to come in. We seek for sin to be done away with and righteousness to reign. We seek to see God's kingdom come here. We pray for leaders and all people in authority. Uh, Often I'll just hear out, Democrats stink, Republicans stink, government stinks. We should be praying instead of just whining. Pray, God, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You do it. You enact it. Uh, We want to do, as John Calvin says, make the invisible kingdom visible. That's that's, that's our hearts, what Jesus is saying here in this prayer. But but here's, here's the question, though. Do you really want his kingdom? Like, do you, do you really want him as king? Because, see, many of us, we don't pray for his kingdom. Uh, some of you want God to bless relationships you shouldn't be in. You want God to bless your businesses that are crooked and corrupt. Uh, you want God to bless decisions that are not of his will. What you really want is your kingdom, and you want God to adjust his and fix yours. You're not praying his kingdom. You're not praying his will. You're just trying to twist his arm. You know God doesn't answer those prayers? Well, he does. No. He always says yes, no, or later, right? It's always answers in three ways every time. But he's not going to answer those yes. Yeah, I'll bless that. I'll give you more crack. Why, Why would he do that? Yeah, I'll give you more what would harm you. Yeah, sure, I'll, I'll approve of that. Yeah, you want to pray for that? Sure, that, that God's a father. God loves his kids. God loves his children. God, God cares for us in a ways that only he can. Understand, Jesus was even submitted to the Father's will. You're gonna see that next week in the Gethsemane. I love it, it's so beautiful. You know, Jesus paid, prayed painful prayers. I mean, he, he, he prayed, man, at the end of the day, God, your will, your glory, your name and renown, your hallowedness. I mean, even Jesus himself prayed that. I, I love this about Jesus, and we'll see this more next week because there's just this nonsense being taught today, total nonsense, that if you have enough faith and you're gonna be rich, you'll never be sick, you'll always be healthy, you'll always be victorious, you'll always be a winner, as if we can pray to have enough faith to be not like Jesus. Jesus was abandoned, Jesus was lonely, Jesus was sick, Jesus was betrayed, Jesus was bruised, Jesus was killed, Jesus was crushed. So let's pray with enough faith so we can be not like him. That's bizarre. No, instead of, yes, God can heal, yes, God can give us these different things, but it is God being magnified in our wants. It's not us wanting our wants for the sake of wants, it's I want these things, Lord willing, so that your name might be magnified, so you might be hallowed. You gotta be careful of that crazy. Get off my soapbox, but you know, it's like, because here, here's the deal, man. When, when fracture of life bears down on you, how do you pray then? Jesus shows us how to do that. If you don't get me out of it, get me through it. That's how Jesus prayed. I wanna pray like Jesus. I want him to be my imitation. Not what some person says about it, or eisegesis. I want to know what Jesus does. And Jesus says, if you don't remove this, then you'll get me through it. I want to worship in this. 
I want to have hope in this. Man, I want to glory in this. It's profound. We're missing joy in unexpected places. Keep me faithful in this. I'm excited for next week. I need to stop because we're this week. All right. Here's what, here's what this does. Here's what this does. The last three things he's given us. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. It just very simply exposes the idolatry that exists in all of us. That's really all it does. That's it's what this prayer does. He's trying to realign you. He's trying to graciously bring you back to it. Because if, if you're pleading with God to accomplish whatever that thing is you want with no regard to his name and renown, with no regard to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, if that's in no consideration, then that's idolatry. Right? So what we really want is cosmic vendor. I pressed E15, and when it doesn't drop down, you start shaking the machine. Right? Because he's just a cosmic vendor. He's just not giving you what you want. That's idolatry. That's not a good approach to God. That's not how we're called and commanded to go to God. So if it's just what you want and it's not the name of the renown of Christ to be exalted, then that's idolatry. What we do want is we pray for specific things. We pray for specific wants, but in a specific want that God would be magnified, that his name would be hallowed, that his kingdom would advance and press forward. Man, he's a good father. He knows what's good. I don't. Place it in my life. Take it out of my life. I don't know where to go. I'm your kid. I can't see the cars coming around the corner. I'm not tall enough. I didn't know the stove was hot. I didn't know that decision would reap destruction. God, you're a good father. You're a good dad. I can trust you. So a great question to ask yourself is, which is something I asked myself this week studying this, which was super convicting. What are really the motives behind your prayers? Are you coming to him for needs or greeds? It's really the whole Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching you not to come to him for, with greeds, but your needs. Because that's what he gives you anyways. He gives you everything you need according to his will and glory in Christ Jesus. He'll supply all your needs. The problem is we come with greeds. And so he's showing us, he's exposing what's in our hearts. So ask yourself, what's, what's the motive behind your prayers? Some of us may need to confess we have no real interest in Jesus or his name being hallowed in our life or his kingdom coming. And it's really revealed in our prayers. Because here's... Uh, we'll get there. Verse three. Verse three, we'll get there. Because this is why he says this. Give us each day our daily bread. Give us each day our daily bread. What kind of prayer is that? It's a prayer of needs. God, you're fully sufficient. God, I want what you want me to have. No more, no less. I've learned through watching my own heart, culture, and life that a majority of Americans just spend their money on fantasy. Here's what I mean. That, 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 that unicorn they think exists, that if they purchase that or buy that because of their discontent, idolatrous, self-absorbed heart, It'll somehow help their dissatisfaction. And so we think that trinket, that toy, that electronic, that hobby will just run to everything. The problem is, and this is minimum wage or millionaire, it doesn't matter how much you make. It's because even though the zeros change, your heart doesn't change. Right? So, so you're still discontent. So it doesn't matter. This is why, did you know, almost like just a huge percent of Americans are in debt? Millionaires and minimum wage. 
because they just spend their money on fantasy, trying to put a band-aid on what they can't fix and they can't save and they can't absolve. They can't change the ache in their soul. And so they do all these things with a discontented heart instead of a, oh, I realize that God's a good father, that he gives me Christ, that he's all that I need. He's hallowed, he's sacred, he's holy. And I mean, his kingdom's gonna come and that's the best thing I could ever be a part of or involved in. And okay, so give me your daily bread. Give me everything that I need today, not my greeds. This is why for some of us, marriage becomes difficult, and when it does, it, it leads you to discontentment, and this is what happens. It then, it then makes you over-romanticize your past. And then here's what you do. You start believing that there's some man out there or some woman out there who's not stupid like your spouse when you forget that we're all, this side of glory works in progress. And so that new one will go well for a season, and then you forget that every toy is dysfunctional and broken apart from Christ. That's why it applies everywhere. In work, in relationships. So he says, give me what I need today. Like, give me the manna today, right? So we did in the Old Testament, just gave you your manna for the day. Give me the food today. Give me my needs. Give me what I should have. Because here's, here's why Jesus is so kind in this. It's so kind of him to only give us our daily bread. That's why it's a good prayer to pray. Because then that doesn't lead to a dissatisfied heart because the more you have, the more dissatisfied you become because that's insanity. You keep trying to heat more of what doesn't work. So you keep buying more of it, right? So, so he's so kind because he also knows that, that coveting right? Me not having what that person has, so just give me daily bread. He knows coveting leads to idolatry, which leads to self-absorption. And because he knows that he's trying to protect us, because he knows that lens is one that sees the world only through the vein of what I want and what I've not been given, instead of all that God, being my perfect Father in heaven, hallowed above creation, has already given me in Christ, because I'm not there, I'm constantly going, I want, I need, so he's trying to protect you from that, that rabbit hole. He's kind in this. He's, he's merciful in this. So instead we say, I know I have all those things in Christ. I know I have all those things as my adoption and my forgiveness and my inheritance coming and my everything that I have in the gospel, but I don't have that and I want that. No, no give me my daily bread, he says. So understand, praying, give us each day our daily bread, actually protects you from idolatry. That's why he's encouraging us to pray like this, to pray in ways that protect us from unbelief. And then he says, and this one scared me, and forgive us our sins, and four is interchangeable with as, so as we ourselves forgive or for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Jesus prayed a lot and we need to pray like Jesus with one exception. Jesus never prayed for personal forgiveness of sin. It's not what he's saying. He's giving you a structure. He's giving you a guide. Jesus never sinned. He's saying this because is this not something that we have to do all the time? This is the one that scared me. God, forgive me in the same way I've forgiven those who offended me. 
You want that? Like, do you want that from God? The debt. He's talking spiritually here. Those indebted to you. Some of us are are holding debts. When Christ delivered you from your debt that you owed. And he said, so, so, so uh, as I've forgiven you, you pray this because it reminds you of the forgiveness of God in Christ. It reminds you vertically of everything you've received in him. I mean, unbelievable, mind-blowing, insane forgiveness that no one can give you and no one will give you and no one will participate in. And no one will, no one will shower you with. He says, okay, as you've received that, that's how you forgive others. God, forgive me in the same way I've forgiven those who have offended me. I mean, how many times have you asked for forgiveness from God while you are currently withholding forgiveness from someone else? I have. Absolutely. That's why, see, it's an impossible prayer to say, God, forgive me. I'm not gonna forgive them. It's impossible. You can't pray that. You can't say, I'm going to reap the benefits as your children because he knows only through the forgiveness of God in Christ does that lead to a forgiveness of others and not to bitterness. Because unforgiveness always leads to bitterness. And let me tell you something. You know what bitterness leads to? You becoming just like the person who hurt you because the same root in them is going to sprout up in you. So you can withhold forgiveness. You cannot forgive. You cannot bear with, but you will become just like that person who hurt you. And so he's showing us here something beautiful. Jesus knows that we remember his forgiveness that leads to forgiveness, not bitterness. Now listen, I do not want this to be clinical, categorical. I want this to be comforting. I'm not trying to just disregard horrendous, horrific things that have gone on in your life. I've walked with so many of you and the stories are horror. I'm not dismissing the sin. I'm not justifying the sin. I'm not overlooking the sin. But I am saying that no sin committed against you is worse than the blasphemy we've committed against a hallowed God. And I know it's so hard to conceive of that. Hopefully that leads you to how heinous sin is. I mean, those of you who have just endured horror that that, 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 that that horror, heinous, terrible sin doesn't compare to the belittlement of God's glory that we have all participated in from birth in different ways. So we need to open our eyes to that. Ask God to help us to see that so that then once you can feel that, sense that, and understand that, okay, then I've got a God who forgives, a God who gives something outside of me so then I can dispense that right? Outwardly. You can't give that if you haven't received that. That's why he's encouraging us to to pray this prayer. And what's beautiful is Jesus, he's saying this prayer reminds us of God's forgiveness of our debt. And this is why we have to be reminded in our prayers of the debt we've been forgiven in because there's a pervasive issue in our hearts that morality and religion makes you right with God. That's why we've got to remember how the debt was forgiven so that we can forgive. 
Right? So many of us say, well, I don't know. I'm going to try religion to pay my debt back to God. We all have to pay it back somehow, right? So I'll use religion. So you think I'll just show up to church and try to stop sinning. And then you realize, if you're honest, over some length of time, wow, this stinks. I can't stop sinning because it's apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. So I'm still religious, which is a sin God hates. Well, that's good. Or we say, hey, let's try a reincarnation, right? So I'll just, I'll come back another way. Or karma, or how does karma work? I mean, how does it work with Jesus, the most righteous, perfect man who ever lived, who suffered the worst life? That ain't karma. Well, reincarnate. I'll just come back and do it again. Well, we sin from birth. So you're going to come back and sin all over again? Okay, well, then I'll just put on the scale. I'll do better deeds than bad deeds. That just makes you religious again, which is what God hates. So you know what God does? God deals with your debt, and you either pay him back in hell or God pays him back with Jesus Christ. And he chooses, right, giving Jesus a merciful option, and then he says now he gets his justice, he remains holy, and he's still loving. What an awesome God. Every other belief system will say, hey, this is how you pay your debt back. Purgatory, say a chant, go to church, do more prayers, be distressed, all these different things that will lead you in, reincarnate, give money, Jesus alone pays your debt. Amen? Amen. Okay, so this is why he says, finally, lead us not into temptation. Understanding everything we've just walked through. Lead us not into temptation. I love the imagery here. It all rolls back to Father. Got the Father's hand. He's going to lead me well. He's not going to lead me into danger. He sees what I don't see. He knows what I don't know. I trust him. He's good. He's omniscient. He's powerful. He's hallowed. And there's safety, there's security, there's supply. He's a caregiver. He's a protector. He's not going to lead me into temptation. So we pray that we would not enter into temptation. Man, can I encourage you, exhort you with this? It is good to pray preemptively before you enter temptation. Like, don't you all know where you're prone to drift? You know. Don't you dare look at me like, I don't know. Uh, you know where you're prone to drift, man. You know, you know exactly where your heart is tempted to go. That's why, did you know it's a great thing to confess not just your sins, but your temptations? No one wants to do that, though. Yeah, try to find somebody. It'll take you three years, all right? And then they'll still make something up and kind of like cover it up. No, confess your temptations, not just your sins, your proclivities, where you're, where you're tempted to drift and, and be drawn. So, so then what happens is you, you're agreeing with your mind now. You're agreeing with God, so you're not reacting to it, right? You're entering into that, ready. You're responding. You're not reacting. When you react to sin, get taken out. Whoa, I don't... <laughs> Instead of, man, I'm, I'm prepared. I'm agreeing with God. I know where I'm prone to drift. I know what he says about this. So I'm, I'm already preemptively praying, God, yeah, don't lead me into that. And I know when I hit that, I know how to respond in that. I know what you say about that. Because I trust you as Father. I trust you as good, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God. And you've already given my daily bread, so I don't need that to be satisfied. And, and your kingdom is coming, and I want to be part of that advancement, not my kingdom. My kingdom's in turmoil. My kingdom's distressed. My kingdom is distressed. My kingdom is anxious. Your kingdom is peace. Your kingdom is perfect. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Everyone's thinking about it, so I figured why don't we put it up there and then tell you what it doesn't mean. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. So many of us read that text and go, see, he'll never let me experience something I can't handle. Not true. 
He's not saying that. What he is saying here, if you read the entirety of the text there, is he doesn't, it's not he doesn't promise you something you can't handle, he promises the ability to endure it. And the way out is Jesus Christ, remembering he's Father hallowed, giving you daily bread, and his kingdom's coming, and he won't lead you into temptation. So you don't say, well, this isn't from God because he wouldn't put me in this. Or then you get angry at him and shake your fist at the heavens instead of remembering what he's actually said, what he's actually promised. The Holy Spirit in us actually gives us the ability to say no to sin and yes to him. Here's what's so good about this. Lead me not into temptation coupled with 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He didn't die just to save you from the penalty of sin. He saved you from the present reality of saying yes to sin. That's how he says you're led away from temptation. It sets your mind on God's ability, not yours. Now, he's the one leading me out. I'm not not trying to figure this thing out, man. It's a matrix I can't untangle. He's got to tell me what is right, what is wrong, what is evil, what is good, what is holy, what is unholy. He has to lead me, drive me, direct me. And as I take his hand and follow under his leading, I'm safe and it's good. And I can trust that no matter how hard it is. And it is hard. This is what he's revealing to us. He died not simply to forgive you, friends, but to provide the ability to choose him every day and say, yes, your father, yes, you're hallowed, yes, you give me what I need, yes, you're my supplier, yes, it's your kingdom, not my will, yes, I have an idolatrous heart, yes, I need help. I mean, really, all the prayer is is help me. That's all it is. Help me. Help me remember your father. Not some angry judge anymore. Help me remember that you're a supplier. You give me my needs, not my greeds. Help me remember that your kingdom is better than my kingdom. Help me remember that I'm idolatrous by nature. And I need that continued reminder of the resurrected Christ, empowerment of the Spirit to enable myself to walk with you and put sin to death. God is good, He's faithful. Let's pray. And as you pray, I want you to think about something. So just enter a moment of prayer to reflect on what God has said. I want you to think about this as you prepare to come to the table this morning. And we don't have time to unpack this, but every time you pray something, you ask God for something, it's tied to a divine promise. I don't know if you knew that. And this is very important. You're really asking God to be and do things he's already been and already has promised to do. So we're asking these things, like Psalm 37 says, I've never seen God's people begging for bread. And then the New Testament says, my God supplies all your needs according to his riches. You read that God forgives our sins. That's based on a promise that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. You're saying, God, do what you said you were going to do. Meet my physical needs with daily bread. Forgive our sins the way you said you would and help me to do the same for others. God, don't lead me to temptation like, this, like, like you said you would. He will never instruct you and lead you in a way that leads to death and a way that lacks joy. He will never lead you there. He only by nature leads you to paths of righteousness and goodness, and mercy, and freedom. 
So whatever, whatever it is you're, 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 you're drawn to ask and, and, and say to him. And for some of you, it's just, I'm, man, I didn't, not aware of the fatherhood of God. Or man, I've been treating you too casually. You're hallowed. You're sacred. You're mighty. You're sovereign. Man, we need father and hallowed. And maybe it's, man, God, I've just been begging you for greeds, not needs. I, man, you've given me health, and you've given me a place to lay my head tonight. You've given me a, one friend. I mean, I said rejoicing in what God has given. Man, you've given me your son, Christ, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, relationship with you that was separated. So now I can commune and converse and talk to you. Maybe you repent of idolatry in your heart. Just looking back over the ways that you've prayed that have nothing to do with his name and renown, nothing to do with his kingdom coming, but more to do with a self-centered heart. Just repent and turn from that and run into the Father's arms and thank him for being Father and good and wise and all-knowing. What we really pray for is what he's already promised. What a beautiful way to pray. Ask God to teach you how to pray. Ask God to help you. You're all in, you're in good company. Ask him to help you not remain apathetic to see that this is beautiful and good and necessary for the life lived to the Father through the Son empowered by the Spirit. God, thank you that you teach us how to pray. Thank you that you show us and help us examine our hearts. Thank you that you've given us a guide. And, and, and God, thank you for laying before us some beautiful truths. I pray that you'd help us to walk in those this week. It, just wouldn't, be in, it wouldn't be intellectual things, but, but theological realities that help us to walk rightly in them this week and even today. God, help us as a, as a church, as a people, to love to commune, converse, and talk to you, understanding your position and your place and understanding ours. We say, as John said at the end of his letter, keep ourselves from idols. And God, use us for your glory and namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.